pray together. Father, that's our prayer. Lord, as we come to you today, uh, we come open. Uh, you would speak to each of us at the point of our deepest need, our deepest longing. You speak to us about the things that you're wanting us to give to you today. Lord, I know that we have a room like this, that we have people all over the spiritual roadmap, understanding. So it's my prayer today, Father, for each of us, that we would be open, listen, we'd be willing and courageous to take whatever step you put before us, just the next step. Father, I, I just pray as we talk today about the gospel, as we sang about just a moment ago, help me to love like you have loved me. I pray that for each of us, that we'd be like that. We feel, feel your deep love. And then we want to help others to know it as well. And Lord, I just take a, a moment here now and pray for those who have been impacted by the fires that are on right now. Lord, to hear the news this morning is not good. And that uh, people have lost homes. And the town has burned down. Lord, I just want to pray for the firefighters, that you would protect them. I pray that you would just allow, Father, now these fires to be put out and that you would allow safety. I pray for those who have lost, that you would come around them. Lord, I pray that you would also bring your church, the churches that are local, that are right there, just help them to be your hands and feet uh, in this time, Jesus. And we thank you in your name. Amen. Okay, if you go ahead and have a seat, that'd be wonderful. So I was talking to some people down the hallway this morning in the children's ministry area, and they were talking about the smoke and how you know thick it was. And I said, well, at least we don't have flames, right? And so you know we can celebrate that part. Um, but what is true for us, many of you were, some of you were around for the 49er fire, so you know what that was like uh, and what was going on during that fire. And so you know it's not a good thing at all. And so I just want to invite you, if you would, we're in the, we're in the last week of the series we've been going through on Second Timothy. It's been a lot of fun for those of us who've been presenting and walking through this and being able to talk about it, uh, and I hope it has been for you. But it's not just been fun, it's been uh, changing, life-changing, and so we've done this. And, uh, and maybe this is your first time here today, and you're like, oh, well, I, you're going to miss out. No, this is going to be great today, because what I'm going to do today, as I told you last Sunday, is I'm going to walk through all of 2 Timothy today, and we're still going to get out on time, okay? So just know that. But we're going to go back and review and some things and look at it and just see what some of the major themes. So I'm going to invite everyone, if you would, grab your message notes. They look like this and pull them out so you can write some things down while you're here today. I'd love it if you would be able to participate. And the Bible verses will be there. It might be a little more difficult today because we're not in one section. But if you wanted to, you could grab your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy. We'll be starting with chapter 1, verse 1 in just a moment. I just want to take time to say this right now. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as our gift. So if you'll just stop at one of the bookshelves in the lobby, just pull one off, take it, it's yours. We'd love to, for you to be able to take this and read it yourself and be able to read the things that we're talking about. 
So what I want to do is I want to kind of back up, and I just want to remind us all about what this series has been about. The Apostle Paul is writing what has come to be known, and this is his last letter. Uh, he's writing from prison, and so it's, an, it's not the house confinement that he had earlier, the house prison. This is actually a dungeon that he's in, and he knows that the end of his life is imminent, that he's going to have his head cut off, and he's going to be executed because of his faith in Christ. And he takes time to write this letter. He dictates it to Luke, and Luke is actually doing the handwriting uh, and writing, but he's dictating it to Luke. And uh, so he writes to his young protege, Timothy. Uh, Timothy was the one that uh, Paul was you know, responsible for. Timothy, through uh, Paul's guidance, came to know Jesus Christ. He mentored Timothy. And then now Timothy's been established as the pastor in a church called Ephesus. And so Timothy is uh, there, and Paul is writing to him. And these were his final words of encouragement. Now, I, I can imagine, I just thought I'd just do this this week. What would I write if I were Paul? And I was writing to someone who would be my Timothy. What would I write? Well, here's some things I would write. The final words that I could write to the one who was going to be responsible for taking my place in the spread of the gospel, the spread of the good news about Jesus. Well, first of all, I would want to make sure that my Timothy understood the gospel. I would want to make sure that my Timothy understood the truth about Jesus Christ, who Jesus was and the so what, okay, so who he was, but then the so what, what do, how do I respond to who he was? I'd want my Timothy to know that even when life looked difficult, and so that's what he's writing, you know, this season is, it's looking very difficult and very bleak for Paul and even the church at this point. I would want my Timothy to know that even when life looks like that, that God was still in charge, that God was still in charge, and that he could trust God's presence, his power, and his provision. I would want my Timothy to know as well that the future of the Christian church was not his responsibility. Not his responsibility. His responsibility was to rest in the grace-filled arms of his father. And then as he's resting in the grace-filled arms of his father, that God does the work, that God's the one who's in charge. I'd want my Timothy to know that he was going to have all he needed because God was with him. He would have all he needed. I want my Timothy to know that he could have courage because God was going to come and empower him, and God was going to make him strong where he is weak as he needed it as he needed it. I want my Timothy to know that death did not have the final say. We're going to read that verse in just a moment. Jesus had the final say on the day when he was risen from the dead, had the final say on death. I want my Timothy to know that he was going to need others. We talked about this last week. He was going to need others if he was going to accomplish all that God had called him to accomplish in his age. So that's kind of some of the things. I mean, I could keep going on, and there's several things I'd want to put in that list, John, if I was making that. But this will stop there. But now, let's just remember, I'm going to take us all the way back to the first and second week, and let's remember what Timothy was actually facing. It'll help us to understand the things I want to talk about today. The first, Timothy was facing external ridicule from the culture. 
external ridicule from the culture. The culture was saying, how could you ever believe in a God who would die? That went all against all the gods of the day and the teaching of the day. So they were saying, how could you ever believe in someone who would die and then be risen from the dead? you got to be kidding me. And so they were receiving ridicule from the culture because they were believing that Jesus was the way and following him. They were ostracized for their faith. People were even hostile and stood up against them. Nero was coming into his prime, his heyday, uh, and his hostility as he was killing Christians, even burning them at the stake. The Colosseum's floors were covered with the blood of the martyrs, people who claimed to love Jesus Christ. They were losing their income, their business, their jobs, their families, their relationships, their homes, and even their lives. Now, I know some of us, we look at culture today and we say it's changing and we say that there's a lot of push against those who claim to follow Jesus Christ, and there is, but it was nothing like their day, nothing like the day in which they lived, the things and culture that were coming against them. He was also facing internal opposition from within the church. There were those within the church, there were power plays going on. As they're looking and saying, okay, Paul's you know, off here in prison. He's out of the way. So they were saying, how can I you know, lift myself up so that I can gain more followers? They were saying things like this. If Paul were truly inspired, if Paul were truly led by God, then God would not have allowed him to be in this prison. That's what they were saying. In chapters 217, it actually says that there were false teachers that were coming in. They were leading others astray with a different kind of gospel. He says their teaching was spreading like gangrene. So he was facing this internal opposition against his leader, Paul, the establisher of the Christian faith, and that he was having to deal with all of this. So he had external ridicule, he had internal opposition, and then Timothy also had insecurity. We know this because of the way that Paul addressed him several times in the books. Timothy was pictured as a young, timid, inexperienced pastor. Uh, He's intimidated. He's paralyzed. He's having a hard time making decisions. He's having a hard time with courage, and he's worried. So he has all these things going on, external uh, ridicule. He has internal opposition, and he has insecurity as well. And what he does is he writes to Timothy to say, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong. And that's what he would say to us as well. I want you to be strong. And we're going to talk today about how we can have that strength. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at several ways that we can stay strong as we carry forward our faith in Jesus Christ, and we can become people who follow him, he says, without shame, he says that in 2 Timothy, without fear and without disabling doubt. Now, what I'm going to cover today We've already covered most of this in the series. So for some of you, you're going to say, okay, I've already heard you say that. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, you said that. But I believe in the power of this quote, the truth of this quote. And here it is. Most of us need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Okay, so here we go. Instead of instruction today, it's just reminders or things that we need to know. So here we go. First is this. If I'm going to stay strong, I must stay focused on God's purpose. I must stay focused on God's purpose. Now, we talked a lot about this two weeks ago. If you missed it, I just encourage you to go back, go online. You can watch it. You can listen to it in some fashion. And what you're going to hear me say in that talk is the importance of purpose. Without purpose, life is pointless. Without purpose, life is passionless. Without purpose, life is meaningless. And that's why it's so 
important, okay? And this is why when I look at those who are in their 20s and 30s who are dealing with depression, I look at those in the 60s and 70s who are dealing with depression, other than physical causes, many times the cause is simply because they have not found a purpose or they've left the purpose behind if they're older, thinking that retirement was their purpose. It's not. And so what they find is, is that they end up with life is passionless, it's meaningless, and they're you know, in a conundrum about what to do. So let's read what it says, beginning in verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. So that's what he's writing to, my beloved child. So he's writing with terms of affection all the way through this book. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to underline this phrase. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, what he's saying is this. I, Paul, am a messenger. Apostle was a messenger. Apostle would come into a place where there wasn't a church and establish a church. And the message that the apostle would use was the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. So he said, I, Paul, am a messenger of the good news by the will of God. And by the way, I just stop here and say this. Even though this is Paul's specific purpose, everyone who is a follower of Jesus has the same purpose, part of your mix, the same purpose. How do I know this? Well, because Jesus, in his final words, he gave what we call the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is that we would what? We would go, as we go into our world, each one of us, that we would make disciples. We would baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we would teach them all the things of Jesus so that they could obey him. He's given us all this same purpose, that I, Ron Thompson, would be a deliverer of the message by the will of God to my world. And so I want to say, you know, at some point, you need to put your name into that same phrase, I, in your name, am a messenger of the good news by the will of God. I've just, just been dreaming about this. Pastor Jonathan and I have been talking about next year in January of being able to just just raise the temperature under this idea that we are all messengers by the will of God. And I said, what if we were all to see ourselves this way? Imagine that. Imagine the influence that we could have if we all saw ourselves as ambassadors to the, a world who's desperately need to, desperately needs to know the love of God. Most of, you know, there's a problem here with church and many followers of Jesus is that what we think our mission is is to go out and tell the world how bad they are, how wrong they are, that that's our mission. Now, there's a place to be bold. There's a place for truth to be spoken. But what God's called us to do is to go into all the world and share his love and to show his love. Imagine if each of us could realize that we're called to be on a mission for him. To live our lives in such a way, in our everyday life, everyday life, that we share the love of Jesus with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with our acquaintances, with our neighbors, with those we run into, and the you know just shopping or wherever we happen to go, and that we live in such a way that by the way we live, they would know the love of Jesus simply because of the way we live. That's what our world needs, folks. And my mind just kind of reels when I start thinking about this, of what God could do in his church 
in his people, in our world, in this day, if we would show his love to the world and we're filled with him and living for him, then we're fired up to live lives that draw people to him. And so next, Paul talks about this. He says, you know what? If you're lacking in power, you need to fan the flame. That's what he says in this next verse we want to look at in verse 6 and 7. He says this, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Now, stop just a moment. Now, how many of you believe that you're a gifted person? Raise your hand. You're a gifted person. Raise your hand. Every hand should be up right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, every hand should be up right now. That's the way it is. See, the Bible says that the minute, the moment that you trust in Christ Jesus and you say to him, I want you to be my savior and my Lord and the leader of my life, that he places a gift, a special gift inside of you so that you can use that gift to carry out his purposes in the world. We are all gifted. So turn to the person next to you and say loudly, you are gifted. You mean it, right? So here's what he says about that, okay? You are gifted. You are gifted. And this is what he says. Fan into flame. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you, which is in you. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And God... What Paul wants Timothy to know and what I believe that God wants me to know and he wants you to know at this place is that you've been gifted and that's all you need, period. All you need and fan it into flame because God wants to use you in this world. Okay, this is the first idea. Second is this. If I'm going to stay strong, I must stay focused on God's message, on God's message. And the message that God wants us to focus on is the good news about his son, Jesus Christ, or the gospel, the gospel. Now, before I talk about four ways that God wants us to focus on the message of the gospel, focus on the message of Jesus, I thought we ought to be clear about what it is, right? So we ought to be clear about what it is. So if you have somewhere on your notes, I'm not sure if there's any blank space on the front that you want to write these four things down about the gospel, love it if you would do that. Love it if you would know this with me and be able to... This is not the entire truth of the gospel, but this will pretty much encapsulate the gospel message. First is this. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to bring us into relationship with him. So that's the first idea. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to bring us into relationship with him. It's what he has done to make those of us who are his enemies, and that's where we are before we say yes to Jesus, his enemies... And bring us so that we are now friends with God. God wanted us to be in relationship with him. So what did he do? He sent us on Jesus Christ to live and die on a cross as payment for my sin. So that at a certain point, I would turn to Jesus and I would say to Jesus, I want to receive and accept the payment that you made on the cross so that I could be made right with God. Okay, so the gospel message is what God has done to reach to us, not what we've done to reach to God. So it's what he's done to us, reach to us, not what we've done to reach to God. Second thing is this. The gospel is also what God is doing in us. What is he doing in us? So he's filling us with grace and power so that we are formed into the image of Jesus Christ. He's filling us with grace and power so that we're formed in the image of Jesus. This is the good news of changed lives. 
when we receive Jesus, apart from the gift that I just talked about that he gives us, his spirit, Holy Spirit, comes to live within us. And what Holy Spirit wants to do in us is to shape us into a kind of person who is characterized by love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the package. That's the kind of person the Holy Spirit right now is working in you to form. Someone who would be characterized and exhibit those kinds of traits. Okay, And third, the gospel is what God is doing through us. What God is doing in our world through us. So it's what he did for us, what he's doing in us, and now what is he doing through us. That's the gospel. And what is he doing through us? He's using us to spread his love and his compassion to the hurting, the broken, hungry, helpless, hopeless of this world. That's the mission he wants us to be on. And what we're doing is we're building his kingdom on this earth. And there's a number four. The fourth is the gospel is what God has promised us. What has he promised us? Well, he's promised to be with us, but I'm talking about the ultimate promise. We sang about it, have your way, just a moment ago at the end of that song. The last verse talked about, I'm still singing, have your way when I'm in heaven. Have your way, have your way. So he's promised that because of Jesus Christ, I will have eternity in heaven in relationship with him. So in a nutshell, those four things, that's the gospel. I'm sure you could probably you know, come up with a couple of more things that you would put in there, but in a nutshell, that's the gospel. And here's the deal. Each generation, each generation will have to fight for the gospel. Each generation will have to fight for the gospel truth. And so that takes us to what Paul says, the four things about the gospel. The first is we need to guard the gospel. We need to guard it. I mean, I, I look at the, what we call the culture wars, and I look at where, you know, the things that we're you know, talking about so much, and really, when it comes down to it, it's not about actions. It's, it's, it's about a full frontal attack against the message that Jesus Christ is the only way. Full frontal, full-on attack against the message that Jesus Christ is the only way. And he calls us as a church and as a people that we will guard and treasure and hold on to and protect the gospel message. And this is what he says. By the Holy Spirit, notice that we have power helping us do this. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit, so that's the gospel that has been trusted to you. Second, Paul calls us and tells us that we are going to suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. Some of you are going, I, I don't like that. I want a feel-good message, you know? Just tell me how awesome it's going to be to follow Jesus. It is. But there may be suffering that comes along with it as you follow him. In fact, what he's saying here is he's saying, walk into it. Walk into it. And this is what he says. He says, share. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verses 8 and 9, he says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as priest in my gospel. So here's the gospel. For which I am suffering. So he's saying, because I have preached, I am what? I am suffering. And the same will be true for us. Is that when we talk about Jesus Christ being the one and the only way. 
the one and the only way that we are going to enter in a season, in a place where there will be so much opposition against us that it will be called suffering. And we will experience that. Okay, then number three, Paul calls us to embody the gospel. Embody the gospel. So what he says in chapter 3, verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So he says, continue in what you have learned. And what he's saying here is allow, as you are learning the gospel, allow it to be transforming you and changing you so that you actually embody the gospel truth. Allow the gospel to heal you. Allow the gospel to fill you with grace. Actually, go back to verse 1. Allow the gospel to make you a grace-filled, mercy-extending, peace-bringing follower of Jesus Christ. Allow the gospel to do that in you. And because of that, your faith in Jesus is so evident Not just because you can say truth, but because you're living the gospel truth out in front of people, that God loves them. Now, this week I was, you know, just studying for my talk, and I was Googling around, trying to figure out, you know, just, okay, can I find out something else that I can just help, you know, give me a little boost in my talk today? And I ran across a video, and it was uh, from August 16th. Uh, if you got many of you know Frank Gifford, uh, NFL player, uh, Monday Night Football, he died on August 9th. August 16th, his wife comes back to work. Kathy Lee Gifford works for the Today Show. As she comes to the Today Show on her first day at work, back from her husband's death, she talks about her husband's faith. Let's watch this. And the Lord taketh away. And that's something that my family and I have been through this past week when we lost Frank uh, on August 9th, your birthday, Hoda, uh, at around 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, I want to thank everybody for your love and your texts and your your tweets. And and just the outpouring has been um, extraordinary. Uh, That's a heck of a way to find out how loved you are. But uh, believe me, my family and I got great uh, strength and comfort from it. And the tributes to Frank, I think, were, were just extraordinary. But uh, but he would have he would have loved him. <laughs> he would have loved him. And you know, uh, you know, we all knew it, when you read the tributes about him about his he's in six halls of fame and he's a you know comeback player of the year, eight Pro Bowls, the only person who ever played three different positions in the NFL, and you know uh, started along with um, was one of the people along with the Kennedys and the Shrivers who started uh, the uh, Special, Special Olympics, Olympics series right. with codes at our mm-hmm. home. And, um, you know, the, the public, Frank, was, was always sort of out there for everyone to sort of witness the way he lived his life. But I thought I'd share um, something with you guys this morning about the private Frank. Uh, because you used to say to me when I'd, when I'd get sort of, you know, miffed at him, when every marriage you have that, and I'd just, I'd say something to him, he goes, you know, a lot of people like me. And I go, yeah, well, they don't live with you. And, uh, and we, we laughed up to the very end. And I just want everybody to know that this is a man who uh, was at complete peace in his life. He might, be, he might have been the happiest, most contented person in the world at this point in his life. Um, but I want you guys to know something about Frank. And that is when he was a young boy, born into a very different world than the, the world we live in today, the Depression. He was born in, in 1930 uh, into a poverty-stricken um, home where his father was an oil worker. And, um, and 
they knew poverty the way I, so many people can't even. He ate dog food sometimes as a child. The family did and was grateful to have it. We, uh, he, he lived 29 different places before he was even at Bakersfield High School because his father couldn't get work during the Depression. And we know that from his mother's Bible, where she would say something like June 6, um, 1938, arrived in Wink, Texas. Dad can't find work. Moving on tomorrow. Hmm. And, and that shaped the man that Frank became very, very much. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to literally have no clothes on his back. Even when he went to USC uh, to play football there, he had one pair of jeans and a white shirt. And so people who think that he was born with this silver spoon in his mouth, he goes, we didn't have spoons, you know. But it made him so grateful. Honestly, he's the most grateful human being I've ever ever known in it. That colored everything he did. And um, he would want you all to know that when he was a little boy, we know that where he lived and all that because of his mother's Bible, they had nothing, but they had their faith. And every time they moved to a new city, or they, they weren't cities, a new town, his mother and father would put him and his, his, other, his siblings, they'd go to church every week as a family. And that kept them together as a family through the darkest, darkest times. And as a young child, Frank asked Jesus into his heart, and that remained with him for the rest of his life. He strayed from his faith on occasion, but his faith never left him. And especially after we found each other and started sharing our faith together, it became more and more and more important to Frank. Um, he, his world got smaller as his God got bigger. And, um, and he'd want you to know that, that he dried uh, in complete peace. He knew every sin he'd ever committed was forgiven. He had the hope that he would be with the Lord and that we would someday be with him as well. That is the, 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 the foundation of the Christian faith is forgiveness, grace, and hope. And those of you who are hurting today or feel hopeless, it might be the answer for you. In fact, I know it's the answer for you. And um, one thing I do know about him is when we went to um, the Holy Land, a couple of years ago, he came back a completely different person. He, we went to a place called the Brook of Elah in the Valley of Elah where um, shepherd boy David fought a different kind of giant named Goliath. And our friend um, Ray, who took us there, took us down to the Brook of Elah, and he said, all right, pick up a stone, because that's what David the shepherd boy did. He picked up five stones because he thought he might need more than one. He did that, the slingshot, and, and slew the, the, the giant. Um, but... As Ray pointed out to us, it's, the miracle wasn't that the shepherd boy was able to kill the giant. The miracle was that the shepherd boy, who already had all the skills he would ever need in life, trusted in a living God, not a religion, but a living God. And Frank came back with a completely new perspective. And towards the end, after that trip, Hoda, you know, because you came with Joel, if somebody wanted to see his trophy room, they went into it, and he didn't take them to the bust of, the, of, the, of his Hall of Fame. He didn't take them to see his Emmys or his rings or his, all of his trophies. He took them straight over to the stone that we brought back from the book, Brook of Ayla. And we got home from the Holy Land, and Cassidy graduated from high school. I don't know what she was expecting, but she got a stone. And we said to her, Cass, where are you going to throw your stone for the kingdom of God? What is your stone, and where are you going to throw it? A week later, Cody graduated from college. USC film school, he got a stone. And um, if you ever leave a legacy for your children, let it be that you've taught them friendship with God and you've taught them to find their stone and show it 
shell it, throw it hard and well, and transform this hurting world that needs God's love so much. Wow. Wow. Not only did Frank, you know, embody the gospel, but she did too, right? You look at the way that she expressed herself, that she was bold on national TV uh, to express her faith. If you want to watch that, there's about two minutes that we cut out today um, that it just goes on. She, she says some really, some more personal, wonderful things. You can just Google that and watch that on your own if you wanted to. I've watched it so many times now, and I cry every time. Uh, when I do that. So, okay, so that's embody the gospel. The next thing is we have to communicate it. We can't just embody it because people will just think we're a good person. We have to communicate the truth of the gospel. And so in 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. And here it is. Preach the word. Preach the word. The word is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be ready in season and out of season. So be ready all the time. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what he's saying here, because every person matters to God. Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross for every single person. He says, whatever it takes, communicate the gospel. Whatever it takes, let's guard it. We must be willing to suffer for it if that be the case. We must allow it to infiltrate our very souls so that we embody the gospel of Christ. And we must communicate it in a way that people will be drawn to the love of Christ. We live out the message. As we live it out, then people are drawn to that message themselves. Okay? So that's the gospel. That's the message. Third idea from 2 Timothy is this. If I'm going to stay strong, I must stay focused on God's word. I must stay focused on God's word. Now, I know you've all heard this phrase, and uh, you've probably been in conversations with people who have used it at you. And here's the phrase. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, right? You've all heard that phrase. Well, that... Statement is just not true. It's not true. So I just want to share this with you. Uh, at our men's retreat, guys, on Friday night, I'm going to unpack this some more. But let me just share with you why that statement is not true. Here it is. Your beliefs determine your behavior. So what I believe determines what I do. My beliefs determine my behavior. My behavior determines what I become. So then my behavior determines what I become. Do you see the importance of your beliefs? My beliefs determine my behavior. My behavior determines what I become. What you believe matters. This is why we build our lives on the foundation of the word of God. Look at what what, um, Paul says here. He says this, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So you've been building your life on these, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. I loved how Fritz helped us on the week he talked about this, to just imagine that God's breath, that God breathed it out to us. God loves us so much that he didn't flippantly text his word or tweet his word. The Bible says that God literally, literally, directly breathed his word into people. 
and guided them and they wrote his words down so that when we read the Bible, we're literally reading the breath of God, his word to us. And then it goes on to say this, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, woman, child of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So God breathes out his words so that we would know how to live for him to embrace him. So we have to keep focused on his word. And then the last idea is this. And by the way, this is why we're giving so much energy to R12. I mean, look at this. We've spent 11 weeks in 2 Timothy, 11 weeks talking about being stronger. Now we're going to go to one chapter of the Bible. We're going to spend six weeks in one chapter so that that one chapter can become part of who we are in our very being as we focus on the word. Last idea is this, and I'll let you go. If I'm going to Stay strong. I'm going to stay focused on God's grace. I'm going to stay focused on God's grace. Remember we said that that was our theme, that we would be focused on his grace, and that's what would make us stronger. It's the common theme. See, religion says it's all about what you do to serve God. Grace says it's all about what God has done for you to experience his love. Religion says I serve God so that I'm accepted, but the gospel of grace says I am accepted So out of that acceptance and gratitude, I now serve God. I now serve him. Now look at what it says. And we're going to go back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So his grace, not because of what we did, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's so important for us to stay focused on grace because our nature, our human nature, is to start believing that we earn our way into favor. Just we earn our way into favor with man, we earn our way into favor with God, and we have to stay focused on grace. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. This was our theme. You then, my child, be strengthened. Remember we talked about this that day. Be strengthened means it's passive. So I'm not working to be strengthened. It just seems so crazy, doesn't it? I'm not working to be strengthened, but he is strengthening me by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful men, women, people who will be able to teach others also. Now, that's what this is all about. It's about grace. And how God wants to strengthen us. Now, Pastor John used this verse last week, and I was so moved by it. I thought, you know, kind of wrap it up the whole series. It'd be a nice verse for us to kind of wrap up with. It's chapter 4, verse 17. And I just want you to just think about this and think about your life and where you are right now. And the truth of this and how encouraging it is. The Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is my, at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I just want to ask you this morning, wrapping up the series, we want to wrap it up. Where do you find strength in your life when everything's going south? Where do you find strength when it looks like everything that you value Everything that you personally value seems to be fragile or maybe about to be taken away. 
where there are values that are coming against your values and you feel like your values are going to lose the battle. When moral corruption seems to be prevalent, where are you going to find strength? Where are you going to find strength when you're intimidated and you're insecure? When culture comes against your beliefs, when culture comes against your faith, where will you find strength? When it looks like you're all alone, where do you find strength? You find strength in the truth that God is with you. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is with you. I'm asking you to bow your heads, and I want to close with the last verse, and verse 22. And it's actually a blessing. And I want to pray it, I want to read it, and then enter into a time of prayer. Just, would you just receive this? Just, just be open right now. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Oh, God, thank you for the power and that blessing. Paul's last sentence, last words. May we live in that truth that God is with us. May we live in the truth that his grace is all we need. Father, I pray for us now as we enter into a time of just coming to you with the needs that we have or the prayer requests we have right now, the thoughts we have after this message today, maybe a decision we want to make. I just pray, God, that we would trust in you. My prayer right now that you would have your way. Have your way, God, in me. Lord, I know that because we talked about the gospel today and the Bible says that your word will never return void, that there may be someone here who wants to say yes to Jesus who never has. If that's you, you would say, Jesus, I come to you now as much as I understand it. I, I have sinned. I believe that you are God, that you came to earth for me to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And right now, I accept your gift. Gift of forgiveness, salvation, freedom. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to follow you. Make me like you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to embody your love to my world. Father, I pray for our church that that would be true for all of us. Let this be a place where people know that the grace of God, the grace of God, is taught, is lived. May all receive your, your gospel message, Jesus. Help us to be on purpose with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.